taking myself back and you with me to the 1970s, actually. Um, in about 1972, I was still at school. I was, in about, I was about 16, I think, or something like that, in 1972. And uh, in our, our town, uh, we had... Uh, some of the local Christians got involved in what was called coffee bar evangelism. Some of you may remember this from this era, where basically you had a coffee bar and people were invited to come and have conversations. And we were trained at that time, in 1972, I remember very well, to do evangelism, you know, to help people understand the Christian message, by, by kind of taking them through a particular little booklet. And the training kind of told us that, well, if you take people through this booklet and keep asking if they understand it, and when you get to the last page, you say, would you like to pray this prayer? And they pray that prayer. Then, you, hey, that's it. They're, they're, they're Christians. And, and that's, that's, that's really all there is to it, really. And, um, well, I kind of did the training. And uh, I did that. And I was in this coffee bar. And there was a guy from my school, I didn't really know him very well, but he was at my table, or I went to this table, and I started chatting, we chatted, and, and I said, hey, you know, interested in this little booklet, and we went through this booklet, page by page, and uh, like I'd been trained to do, and I said, well, what do you think, do you want to pray this prayer? He said, yeah, 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 I would, yeah, that would be good, so I was a bit kind of surprised, I suppose, but anyway, I kind of went on with it, and he prayed this prayer, and um, I thought, well, that's good. And then he went home, and that was Friday night. And then in school next Monday, he didn't seem to want to say anything about it at all. It was, you know, by the end of the weekend, that was it. It was, it was gone. He didn't want to come to the Christian union that we had in school. He didn't particularly want to be in church. In fact, he didn't really want to talk about it at all. It just seemed to be, well, a kind of random prayer. It didn't seem to make any difference. Now, there were others at the time I knew, school friends of mine, and, and my brother, my brother might have been, my brother is, no, he's not here, he's going to come down. Um, you know, who, who may have had those kind of conversations, may have prayed those prayers, may have been a bit longer about it, may have not had a book, but actually, yeah, they came, and they came to know Jesus, and they stayed longer in the Christian faith, and this guy, who didn't last longer than a weekend, as far as I know, some of those guys are still following Jesus today, not all of them are. Some other things came into their lives or whatever. Now, at that time, in 1972, um, making a decision was how uh, becoming a Christian was dis- described. In the church I grew up in, grew up in sometimes my parents sometimes I talk about, oh, so-and-so made a decision. And you go, well, what decision did they make? Well, it was a kind of decision to... Follow Christ. That's how some people kind of explain becoming a Christian was making a decision. Is that what there is to it? Is that all there is to it? Saying a prayer in a booklet, putting your hand up in a meeting, making a decision, or is there something a little bit more to it? You see, looking in the Bible, we do see that people, yeah, they do come to a point in their lives where they need to respond to God's good news, don't you? It's no good just knowing about good news if you don't respond to it. And responding to it does involve making a decision. That's absolutely true. But there's more than that. What does Jesus do? Well, he asks people to follow him. Follow him. 
That's what he keeps doing. Now, obviously, someone has to start following him, and you can't start without making a kind of decision to do so. But the decision is the beginning of the following. And that's what we're thinking about today, following Jesus. Jesus asked people to be his disciples. Disciples simply means learners, followers for the rest of their life. There's a new life, a new birth, Jesus talked about, which may come out of a particular decision and a response that's made. And that may involve putting your hand up, it may involve praying a prayer, it may involve taking communion for the first time. It could be a kind of symbolic gesture, but at the heart of it, there's that sense that someone's saying, yes to God, I want this good news in my life. I'm responding to God, but I'm responding to begin this new life following Jesus. Now, here's the question. How does that kind of following continue for the whole of our lives? How is it going to be sustained? How is it that we, you know, we don't just you know, last a weekend like the guy I met in the coffee bar? Is it all about us? Is it all about whether I'm obedient enough or not to God? Is it all about God and God you know, giving me the power and zapping me and keeping me going? Or is it about other people that I need to help me in my life? Well, what is it? That's what we're thinking about today. As part of this little series we've been doing in September on the kind of the basic kind of beginning issues of the Christian life. We thought about prayer last week. We thought about how can I be sure I'm a Christian the week before. Today we're thinking about how do we keep going? How do we sustain it for life? And today I want to look at two passages in the New Testament. One is from Jesus and we're thinking about how he expected people to follow him to be his disciples. The other one is from Paul And we're going to see that the same truths actually are taught by Paul to a community of Christians who had not ever met Jesus. And you know, we're a community of Christians who haven't met Jesus physically, aren't we? We're kind of right where uh, the people that the New Testament is written to. So let's have a look, first of all then, at Matthew 28, page 1001. If you need a church Bible, there'll be one nearby. And we're looking at verse 16 on page 1001. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This is right at the end of Matthew's Gospel. This is an incident that takes place after the resurrection. It's one incident that Matthew gives us out of many incidents. We read in Luke's Gospel and the beginning of Acts that that Jesus was alive and he was with his disciples for a, a, a long period. And during that time, he taught them. He was with them. He was teaching them. He was helping them to understand what had happened to him, what the meaning of that was, uh, where they were to fit with the plan that, that was working out into the future. And as he's there, and, and this is one incident about among many, but he makes this really, really big and crucial point. There it is in verse 18. 
the words of Jesus to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Here's his first great big point. You know. He says, Jesus, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is the Lord. As the one who's been raised from the dead, standing with his disciples, he says, all authority is given to me. Now imagine you were one of those disciples. You'd been with Jesus three years. You'd heard his teaching. You'd experienced the miracles that he did. You'd seen his power over the storm. We're going to look at that next week. We're going to have an all-age service and we'll get into the storm and the lake and we'll do some stuff on that. But his power, his power over evil, the the way that he he did things, the person that he was, his, his clean and pure life, the impact he had on people, they'd seen all those things. They'd experienced how Jesus had called them to follow him. They'd left their jobs. They changed their lives completely. They'd been on the road with Jesus those three years, learning with him day by day, day by day. All that talk they'd been hearing about the kingdom of God. Read the Gospels, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's Gospel. The two terms are interchangeable. And these were Jewish people, and they had, they'd heard that phrase, kingdom of God. They knew that God had, uh, had promised that he would intervene in the world, that he would do something big again, that, that he would make good on his promises, that he would reign, that he would intervene. And now Jesus is standing there saying, all authority is given to me. He'd already made loads of hints about the way kind of following him and being with him was, was like being in the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God was among them. Because the king was him. He was there with them. And the kingdom of God is about being under God's rule and God's reign. And Jesus had been bringing the rule of God into people's lives. Those who responded to him. So all of this is kind of coming into your head. Okay, for a disciple, you say, all authority is given to me. And all this stuff you've heard and seen over the three years is all kind of bubbling in. As you see him there saying those words. And you may, if you'd been taught well as a a good Jewish boy or girl, you would uh, have uh, remembered something in the book of Daniel, where Daniel has a vision, an Old Testament prophet, in Daniel chapter 7. It's a vision he has, and it says, One like the Son of Man comes to God and is given. It says, all authority is given to him. And he accepts worship from all the nations. And you you would have known that promise because it was a promise about the king who was coming. And here is Jesus, the one you've been with for three years. You've seen all doing that, saying, saying, all authority is given to me. You thought, whoa, yeah. Maybe that was why he called himself the son of man so much. Ever wonder why Jesus called himself the son of man? Perhaps it was because in Daniel chapter 7, this figure who is given authority is called the Son of Man. It's all coming into your heads. Now, some of you, if you're disciples, yeah, you've still got doubts. Look, it says there, doesn't it? Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some hesitated, the word is there. It's not all crystal clear to them. There's loads they don't understand but they also worship. There's this key moment for them to realize who Jesus Christ is. He is the Lord, the promised one, God doing his thing. 
The kingdom uh, arriving, so to speak. And that's the first big thing Jesus says. All that, it would all have begun to kind of click, 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 click into place in the disciples' heads and hearts. But he says something else. He's to be followed, verse 19. Therefore, because Jesus is the Lord, something flows out of that. What is that? Well, the eleven who were there, the disciples, because Judas wasn't there, but the eleven and the others that are with them are told they are to do something because Jesus is Lord. Because the King has come. Because God's reign has begun on earth. What are they told to do? What are they told to do? Make disciples. Now they've been disciples themselves. Now they're to help other people to be followers of Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord, he expects the disciples to pass that message on so that others will be followers of him. How are they going to become those followers? Well, he says, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We had a baptism a couple of weeks ago. There's another one coming up later if you want to be baptized. It's a symbol of new life, isn't it? Baptism is that symbol of new life in Christ. Jesus is saying when you're baptized, it's a symbol of your your connecting with the life of God. It's an expression of commitment to Christ and it's a kind of uh, expression of connection with Christ. Commitment to him, connection with him. And Jesus says baptism, that's how this kind of new life, uh, this, this following involves being baptized. There's an internal response to God. A life from God. Some of you maybe struggle at times following Jesus. Well, baptism is a, it's quite a good way, to, in a way, to kind of focus on or, or look at some of those struggles. What baptism means, uh, and obeying Jesus in baptism, is a good way to get, kind of get going uh, and push on through some of the struggles that we have. But also, he says, there's new life, he also says what? You need to teach them to obey everything Jesus says. To obey everything. Learning to obey Jesus' teaching. So following Jesus, new life on one hand, and learning to obey. So again, what would the disciples be thinking? What had Jesus taught them over the three years? I won't ask you, but it's worth thinking about, isn't it? What have they been learning? They've been learning to live Jesus' way. They'd been learning that love was, was the key thing. They'd been learning that they shouldn't be running after money and, the, and, and ambition and all that kind of stuff. They'd been learning to trust God. They'd been learning that they should have God at the centre of their lives. They'd been learning quite a lot about relationships, actually. They'd been learning about the need to be, to be honest and open and to have you know, lives that are built on, on, on truth. They've been told to be pure in their relationships. They've been told to be forgiving. They've been told to be living in a way that puts things right with people. They've been told by Jesus to leave self-centeredness behind. They've been told to serve others. They've been told to love God above everything else. They've been told all kinds of stuff about praying, about fasting, about giving, about serving. They've been told all of that stuff. By the way, for those of you who may notice it, that's just the Sermon on the Mount. 
That's just three chapters in Matthew's Gospel. And there's a lot of stuff I left out. Things Jesus had taught them, they were meant to obey themselves, learn to obey those things, and teach those things to other people. Jesus is telling the disciples that all that stuff he taught them, all this stuff in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all that stuff we read in the Gospels, is not just for the 11 disciples, it's for all those that they were going to teach in the future. And when does it stop? When is the end point? The end of the age, he says. So does does that include me and you? It does, doesn't it? It does. We're included in that. And what's the scope of it? Where are they going to go with this stuff? Well, the scope of it is everywhere. (laughs) Jesus says to them, as you go, he imagines them to be a a mobile bunch of people. He says, wherever you go, through your lives, through the world, this is what happened, wherever you go, you live this stuff. You explain this stuff to others. When people say, what is it about your life that is different? You tell them. (laughs) You tell them why Jesus means such a lot to you. Why he means everything to you. And and is it just for Jewish people? No, it's for all the peoples of the world, says Jesus. Every ethnic group. No limit to where these followers will come from. It's everywhere. So Jesus tells the disciples to multiply, to share this stuff with others, to help others to obey, to help them to follow, to live lives for Jesus. The people they tell are to live lives just as the disciples were meant to. The teaching, as I say, the gospel, the New Testament, they give us the way to follow. We're to learn to obey it. We need to do it like Nike, you know, just do it. Because it comes right down to us at the end of the age. Following Jesus for the whole of our lives. And it's also about every part of our lives. Because if Jesus is the Lord and King, we really have no option. Because of who he is, we're to follow him. Where? Everywhere. What with? Everything. Do we get that? Is that how we're going to see our Christian faith? Just about everything. About what we do tomorrow, about how we bring up our kids, about what we do with the people we don't get on with, about how we do our jobs. I don't just mean about, you know, witnessing to everybody all the time, but this kind of sense of, well, that's okay, if that's your bag and you can do it without getting fired or whatever, feel free. But, but about taking, taking Jesus consciously into your workplace. Lord, you're the Lord of this place. Today, I want to kind of live and work that way. Those kind of things. About how we read the Bible. Do we read the Bible asking, Lord, what do you want me to obey here? I've just read this stuff about, you know, this, that or the other. Well, how is it I'm going to do that in my life? Today, tomorrow, now, (laughs) in a couple of minutes' time. Those kind of things. Bringing Jesus to work. In the family, when it's tough. He's Lord of everything. He wants us to be with us everywhere. Now, how can those disciples do that? How can we do that? Well, there's a third thing here. There's this amazing promise. Look at what he says at the end. I am with you always. He's told them he is the Lord. He's told them that he expects people to follow him 
And part of the disciples' role is to be passing all that on as they live it out themselves. Third thing, he promises to be with them, always. So Jesus is with us. I really want to pause and think. I'm not going to come down with the microphone or anything. Do you really believe that? I am with you always, says Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're kind of thinking, well, I'm a Christian, I want to follow. Have you got that? Jesus is with us always. Wherever you are, where you'll be. Think about where, where you'll be tomorrow. I am with you always. You might think about Martin and Wendy. Wendy, her mum, died last night. And George, her dad. I am with you always. You might think about the conflicts that we face and that person that you think, I don't know how I'm going to face that person this week. I am with you always. Has Jesus got anything to say to about relationships? Yeah, quite a lot. I am with you always. That's how following is sustained through life. Knowing who Jesus really is. He is the Lord. Knowing that he is to be followed. So we respond in living obedience. Learning to obey because he's with us by his spirit. So you may be thinking, well that's pretty good, that's fine for the 11 disciples. They were souped up, weren't they? They were special. You know, they were apostles. They were chosen. They were 11 of the best of the finest. Well, it does actually say they were, they were doubting, you know, <laughs> as well. Well, let's just turn over just very, very briefly, and I, I, I really do mean this briefly. I know I say this, and then it's another time. We'll be finished in at least, uh, at the most, rather, five minutes. To page 1179, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Remember those things there. And as uh, I read it through from verse 9, can you spot the similarities? No, again, I won't come down with it and ask you. We do that on Thursdays, don't we? Meg's looking up, thinking it might be like Thursday. Can you spot the similarities between what we've just heard from Jesus and what Paul is saying to this community of believers in Philippi who had never met Jesus, but were part of that group Jesus talked about who were going to be disciples because people like Paul went and told them the good news. First. Nine. Therefore, he's talking about Jesus, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Can you see those three points there? Verse 9 to 11, Jesus is Lord. God has exalted him. You know, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Paul says, God has highly exalted Jesus, given him the name. There's the words on the wall. That's where those words on the wall come from. Philippians 2. That Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the scope? Total. In heaven, 
on earth, everything, even under the earth. I'm not quite sure what Paul meant by that. He's obviously thinking in terms of the way they thought at his time. But basically it means everything. So don't get too hung up about whether he meant kind of in space beneath the planet or under the ground. It's just an expression saying everything. The scope of Jesus' lordship. Same message that Jesus said. Same thing Jesus said. Here's Paul saying it to the Philippians. What else? Look at verse 12. Obey Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord, it says, therefore... My dear friends, obey, he says. Paul never used the words, Paul in his writings never uses the word disciple or discipleship. But this is about what Matthew is talking about. This is about following Jesus, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Paul says to the Philippians, you need to obey him. Because Jesus is Lord, he says, we obey. He says, we work out, we live out our salvation. We live it out that way. We do the things he's commanded us to do. How do we do it? With fear and trembling, it says. With all our questions, with all our uncertainties. Think back to Matthew. What were the disciples, some of them, doing? They were doubting. They were fearful. They were trembling. Paul is saying, you may be fearful. You may be trembling. You may feel like your life is going down the toilet and you don't quite know what to do. He says, but live it out. Keep being obedient. Hold on. Sorry, I got to set somebody off there. And then what's about that third thing there, verse 13? God is at work in you. Jesus said, I'm with you always. Paul says, God is at work in you. To will, to give you the motivation. Boy, we find motivation difficult, don't we? Sometimes I do anyway. Well, it says God can help us even with that. It's quite legitimate to ask God to help you feel like doing what you know you should do. Martin Luther, uh, talking about prayer, used to say, if I don't pray, well, I just pray till I... I know he's... No, sorry, I'm going right. If I don't feel like praying... You may have said... I know he said, did he say this last week? No, no. He said, he said if I don't feel like praying, I pray until I feel like it. <laughs> and there's some, there's some kind of truth in that. It's a bit of kind of spiritual CBT, isn't it, really? But that's, a, that's another thing. You know, he's saying, do it. God is able to help us with the motivation as well as to do. So those three great points. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is to be followed and obeyed. Jesus is with us. He's all there in Philippians 2. It's the same message that's going out to this bunch of Christians miles away from Jerusalem, way across the Roman Empire. But it's for them too. And it's the same for us. We're part of it. So then... Following Jesus for life. Is it up to me? Well, I do need to learn to obey. I need to learn to obey Jesus' teaching. So in that sense, there's a responsibility. Is it up to God? Well, anything I do is in response to all that God has done because Jesus is Lord, because he is with me, because God is at work in me. So it's certainly not just about me trying to be a disciple all on my own, bolting on appropriate behaviours kind of thing. It's much bigger than that. Do I need others? Well, Jesus tells the disciples to make other disciples, doesn't he? So we can teach each other. We can help each other. We can help one another to learn to obey. That's why our small groups are really important. 
If you're not in a small group and, and you're a regular member of the church, you're not involved in a student group or whatever, do get into a small group because there we, the whole point of the thing is to learn how to live it out in our lives and, you know, ask the, you know, be honest about when it's tough and when it doesn't seem to make sense and, and when we need prayer for one another. So we do need others. That's actually what Paul is doing in Philippians, isn't it? Paul is helping others to grow by writing that letter. So let's be people who understand, who realise that Jesus is the Lord. Let's be people who are willing to follow. And let's know that as we do so, that he's with us. And let's go for it for the whole of our lives, for the whole of our lives, the whole extent of our life, Till the end, we um, uh, uh, had a funeral service of Audrey Silk, who was 94. And uh, she only, uh, well, her grandson said to, to, us at the, uh, to me at the funeral, she said, so, the last 10 years, my grandmother, something really happened to her. And she, yeah, she just seemed you know, to kind of come alive, you know? From age 83 to 94, she started taking following Jesus perhaps a bit more seriously if she hadn't before. And her grandson was saying those last 10 years, he'd, see, he'd seen something. Well, the whole of life. Let's be there for the whole of our life and in the whole of our lives, all of it, because he is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we may be those who are followers of you. We pray that as we go from here into whatever you take us, wherever you take us, we pray that we may be those who understand or are beginning to understand and have responded to the fact that you are the Lord, you are the King, that, that uh, you are, you've done something to enable us to be in that new relationship with you and that we can obey you, we can live lives that are different and Lord, we can know your presence daily with us in these lives. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.